Well, is it not a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house? And uh, looks like the weather's going to hold, so it won't be raining on us as it has in some Easter's. But and let's have another round for those wonderful children singing and the ladies. Can't wait to hear the ladies a little later on. I think sometimes at these um, at these Christian. Um, these times of year that we celebrate Christmas and Easter, um, I think they are awesome. I think it's wonderful that we celebrate these times. But I think so often we fail to celebrate this throughout the rest of the year. It should be We should be celebrating the birth and death of Christ constantly. Because as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, if this crucifixion, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are all, all people to be most pitied. But he did. He is risen. Come on now. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. All right, if y'all will turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. And I'm going to kind of be focusing on verses 13 and 14, but uh, we'll get around to everything uh, in its own good time, but mostly on verses 13 and 14, and familiar passage to many of you. James chapter 4, verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let me ask God's blessing on our talk this morning. Lord, we are grateful for so many things, and we are humbled by so many things. Lord, we're amazed that you have chosen us. And Lord, we're amazed that you sent your son to die for us in spite of our sins. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage in James, that you would help us to see how fragile and how short our lives are. And yet, in spite of that, you have called us to do amazing, amazing things. And you have given us grace and mercy and the strength to do those things. And I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that my words would not be my own. I pray that your words would come through. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us open hearts and open minds. And I pray that we might be able to put away the things of the week and to be able to think on your things. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> On Sunday, January 8th, in the year 2000, my dad walked into the living room of our house and made a really horrifying and shocking statement. Wilma Long, it was a very good friend of ours, a dear friend of my mom's, and a mother of three young boys, all under 14, had been killed in a T-bone collision uh, two nights before. And I'd never been faced with 
death like that. My grandmother had passed away a few years earlier, and I'd been around that, but I'd never known somebody closely. Uh, I was very good friends with her oldest son, and we'd spent a lot of time with the family at church and at their home and at our home, and I'd never had to face death like that. And it was it was pretty awful to realize to know this person and then they're suddenly gone. Um, and I it, it made me wonder this beautiful godly wife and mother why did why did that happen? And I think there's a lot of questions that come up when things like that happen. But I think the thing that we have to come back to is a very simple truth, and that is. No one is going to live forever. In our James passage and the various translations, it's we're a vapor, we're a smoke, we're a mist, we're a morning fog, as the New Living Translation puts it. And in Psalm 39.5, it says, Behold, you have made my hands a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. In Psalm 102.3, For my days pass away like smoke. Psalm 144.4, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And then in Hebrews, it reminds us of the after. What happens after. Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We don't just pass away and evaporate. Our souls live on. And in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We're all going to die. Every single living, breathing thing on this planet is going to go away at some point. And I want to look at an illustration that I found on the Internet and hopefully to drive this point home a little bit more. This is a graphical illustration, and it's not perfect in its number count, but this is a graphical illustration of death in the 20th century. We have infectious diseases, we have cancer, we have humanity, which would include pollution, murder, drugs, accidents, and then we have non-communicable diseases, cardiovascular disease, um, off of humanity, we have murder, we have suicide. 89 million people died uh, because of suicide in the 20th century. Um, communism killed 94 million people. Um, stomach cancer killed 64 million. Um, when you're texting and you're driving down the road, uh, road traffic killed 60 million. Um, we have an incredible variety of ways that death comes upon us. COPD, uh, respiratory disease, COPD, 200 million people. Smallpox, 400 million. Natural disasters, 2.4 million. Tetanus, 
37 million. Do you think any of these people were able to prolong their lives or change how they died? The Nazis killed 16 million. That's a pretty tough list to look at. And that's just, that stops at 1999. We've had almost 13 years since then. It's a morbid subject, but it's very true and it's very real, is that no one in this room is going to live forever. And if I was going to put a name on our talk today, I would have to call it vanity and vapor. And none of us know how or where we're going to die. If I lived in a suspended Kevlar floating ark over an abandoned island in the Pacific and I took all the right pills and ate all the right food, I'm still going to die. It's just kind of how it is. Psalm 89, verse 48. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. So I would say that God has decreed that's his will is that death comes upon us. So we're pretty sure that our lives are finite there. We don't have much time and we can't do anything about it. We can't prevent it or divert it. What are we going to do now that we know that? Now, there was a man in the Old Testament that I think he had some pretty good insight on this subject of life, and he actually wrote an entire book on it. Solomon had everything the world had to offer. He tried it all. He, had, he was the richest man in his time. He was the wisest man that has ever lived and will ever live. Nobody before him, nobody after him. God gave him incredible wealth and incredible wisdom, and thus I would, I would say that... What he has to say in the book of Ecclesiastes um, is probably pretty meaningful. So let's turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and to chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses. And you might keep your finger there in Ecclesiastes because we're going to stay here for just a little while. <clears throat> The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. So he's, we see he's tried all these things. He's had access to every pleasure that life could uh, possibly uh, bring him. But he still thinks that it's all vanity. And what about this word vanity? So in Ecclesiastes, he uses it 37 times. 37 times the word vanity occurs in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now you remember our verse in Verse 14 of James 4, 
the Greek word for the for vapor is the word atmos, and it means vapor, just directly translated. That's the Greek word. But here in Ecclesiastes, the word vanity is the Hebrew word hebel, and it means breath or vapor. And so we see this tie-in between vanity and vapor, the idea that our lives are short, and unless God is at the center of it, then it's kind of just, it's just vanity. And when you remember that the word of God was divinely inspired and that it was sometimes directly dictated, it is no accident that these two things come together. And let's look at chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And Solomon says, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself water pools to water the growing trees. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. I had greater possessions of herds and flocks. I had myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings, male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. He had everything. Verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So here we have so, so often we're unsatisfied with what God has given us materially in this life. Here we have a guy who got it all and he figured out that that's uh, it's still insufficient. It's still insufficient. And I want to go through just chronologically through a few verses here in Ecclesiastes to further see what Solomon observed about life. In chapter four, verse four, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And I think that so often we can be jealous of another man's hard work. We look at what somebody else has, and we're jealous of what he has, and we're envious, but he's probably just working harder than we are. And so we, should, we, we, should, we just need to work harder ourselves. We need to stop looking at that other guy. In chapter 4, verse 8, There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Now, I wouldn't say that we have that particular problem in our group. I, I don't see too many workaholics here. There may be a few. But uh, it's very easy to create an idol out of your career or out of your job. And God never intended for it to be that way. Uh, God intends all of the things in life to be secondary uh, to him. And I think it's an excellent self-check when you say, for whom do I toil? Am I working for myself? Am I trying to advance in my career? Am I trying to jump to the next rung? There's nothing wrong with advancement. But if that is the goal in and of itself, and you're neglecting your family, and you're neglecting your relationship with God, then that can be a very dangerous thing. God never intended that our careers be an end unto themselves. Moving to chapter 5, 
For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Now, I want to be careful um, drawing this conclusion, but I, I would still think that it would be accurate. I would say that our modern parallel to dreams and many words would be film, television, novels, those sort of things, because we drink those up in large quantities. Um, and film, especially film, Hollywood movies, are designed to take you to a place where you are not. Even the Lord of the Rings films, I love the Lord of the Rings films, but those take you to an alternate reality that really isn't. And so we see here that Solomon says, when you're doing this on a large scale, uh, there is no meaning to it. And then he says, but fear God. Now, many of you all know that I have stopped watching film and television, uh, and I would not say that that's something that everybody should do or can do, but I have found great benefit in taking those things out of my life and still working on putting things in. But you've got to start with putting the old man off, and then you put the new man in. In verse 15 of chapter 5, And this also is a severe evil. Just as exactly as he came, so shall he go. You can't take it with you. Solomon went just as the day he was born when Solomon died. And you can work to build an empire, a material life, things uh, that you enjoy, and it all has to stay here. And you can't cash it in at the last minute to get points for the other side. So it, it, really, doesn't, it really doesn't help. And here's another one that kind of ties in with, with verse, uh, verse 7. In chapter 10, verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. And I would say that that is happening on a huge scale in our society. We have comedians. We have radio talk show hosts. We have movie stars. We have activists, all of these people that do not know God or some that do know God and do not know him as they should. And these are the people that are being elevated. These are the people that we are honoring. And that is a horrible thing. And I think we as Christians have a great responsibility in that area to elevate and to honor and to treasure the people and the things that are worthwhile and I think we have been too long steeped in the culture. We, we have to be able to get away from that. People who truly have wisdom and knowledge are not the people that are being honored uh, in, in popular culture and society today. So we see a lot of things that Solomon had uh, to say about life and death. Um, and you think about the average dad, not necessarily from this room. He's got two kids. He works for 30 to 40 years, 35 to 40 years, and he sends his kids to college, and he retires, and he plays golf, and then he dies. That's, wow, that sounds like something significant. If you don't have God in your life, no matter what you do besides that, what did he do it all for? He's gone. What did he leave behind? Um... What is going to follow him into the next life? And I know that I'm kind of leaning on the dark side today. And Ecclesiastes can be 
kind of a, a difficult book to read at times, but it's been a favorite book of mine. Um, I've always been a depressing sort of person, but um, <laughs> it's, it's easy to read this book and say, life is not worth it. It's easy to look at, at some of this, and we're going to come back around to where Solomon tells us uh, the truth about life. And I think we have to be careful when we do read the book of Ecclesiastes. There are a lot of things he talks about that he says are vanity. But hard labor, the fruit of our work, um, a wife, children, material blessings, those are all things that God can bless us with. They just have to be in the proper perspective. Um, you've got to start with God up here, and then all those things come after it, and then you can truly enjoy them. And our mistake is when we depend on those things instead of Christ for our sustenance and our satisfaction and our sufficiency. We cannot depend on those things. And you can try. And I, and I have struggled with that in the past. You can try. It doesn't You can't. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And any time that God is not on the throne, we're missing our divine purpose. We're missing what God has created us for. In Psalm 119, verse 118, you spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. And then Psalm 2, verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Man knows that God exists, but he wants to live life according to his terms. And that happens with us, too. We've grown up in Christian homes, Christian families. But too often we want to live our life our way instead of how God has intended it, us to live. Let's turn to a very familiar passage, Romans 1, Romans 1, verse 18. And this says it uh, better, than, better than anything else. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So natural man, the unregenerate man, still knows in his being that there is a God, and he knows that there is a way that he should be living his life. And maybe he doesn't know all the details, um, and different men have different understandings, and God has given uh, that gift differently. But natural man knows. He knows that God exists, and he still wants to create an idol out of all these other things. Let's go back to James, back to chapter 4, and let's kind of backtrack a bit. and Look at verse 13, James four thirteen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. I guess the modern-day equivalent might be selling everything that you have and moving to New York and buying a brand-new car and a brand-new house and thinking that you're going to make it in the marketing industry. Well, if you do all that without asking God what you ought to do, then you're probably going to fall, fail, mess up. Um, we think that we can go around making major life decisions and minor life decisions. 
I think the minor decisions build up to the major ones. We think we can go around making major life decisions without asking God what we ought to do. And it's not that we're asking God to send us a big sign that says, do this. He's given us all this stuff to do here. And he's given us so much guidance in scripture. Uh, his revealed will is enormous. So be about doing what's in here and he will help you make those big decisions in his life. I love a song by the Go Fish guys. Some of you are familiar with the Go Fish guys. And this was an older song that they did called Parade. And it talks about life being a parade. And sometimes you're the guy holding down the balloon animal. And sometimes you're the guy with the shovel picking up after the horses. You know, it just depends where, where it all, life changes. And we're all in different places in life. But the thing about being in the parade is you're seeing the float in front of you. And you're seeing the float behind you. And that's about all you can see. But there may be 100, 200 floats in the parade. God sees the whole parade. God sees the whole parade. And when we forget that, um, we're going to worry and have anxiety a whole lot more. God knows what's going to happen before, before we even know what we want to do. In Proverbs 16, I think this helps us kind of reinforce this idea of um, God knows better than we do. In Proverbs 16, in verses 1 and verses 9, Proverbs 16, 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then skip down also to verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So, it's not this idea of just letting go completely and saying, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Again, God has given us so much in his revealed will. We should plan. We should um, be careful in what we do. We should think about what we do, have wisdom, get wise counsel. But remember that God controls the outcome. And you remember that Christ referenced the man, uh, the two different um, events that he was talking about where a man was going out to war and a man was trying to build a tower and he was saying you have to calculate the cost you can't take 10,000 men and go see 20,000 men and you can't start building the tower without knowing that you have enough money to finish the project so in our decision making God has called us to be wise and careful and to plan but to leave the outcome up to him and sometimes we make plans and God sees fit to topple the whole concept. Wait a minute. Didn't we talk about that a few weeks ago? The Tower of Babel. Those people thought they had it figured. They thought that they could do something without God to try to better themselves. And God destroyed their entire... He destroyed not just their tower, but their mindset and scattered them across the nations. And I think something from my own life, um, in the past couple of years, I have um, tried to get married. Uh, and uh, God has seen fit for those relationships not to take place. And I am so grateful now that they did not. Um, and many of y'all know uh, where I am and what I'm doing. But um, just very grateful that God knows better than I do. And you have to listen to the people around you. You have to listen to his word. 
and you have to be soft into what he's telling you. And sometimes you think that you can make a list of things and they all look so good and you think that's all you need to do. But if you're not listening to the voices around you, if you are not listening to the word, everything has to go through the sieve of the word. In Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make errors. He knows, he always knows better than we do. And we think about Noah on this concept, on this idea of planning. God gave Noah uh, quite a task and he gave him a direction to go in. But Noah had to do a lot of planning. That's a lot of tree cutting. That's a lot of hauling. That's a lot of figuring out uh, how to build something that had never been built before. So Noah had the right idea, uh, and he was faithful versus the tower of P the the folks at the Tower of Babel. Um, Noah was faithful before God gave him that task, um, and the uh, and God gave him. Uh, an incredible um, thing to be able to do, uh, but the other people tried to idolize themselves, and they were scattered for that effort. Let's turn to Luke 12. Turn to Luke 12. In verses 16 through 21, familiar passage again. Then he spoke a parable to them. This is Jesus speaking, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That ties back to what we were looking at in Ecclesiastes. You can build up and do all these things, but again, your soul will be required of you. It will be required of all of us. Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. There are consequences for all of our actions, good and bad consequences. And why would we want to exclude the creator of the universe from being our focal point of planning and decision making? Why would we want to leave him out? Why do we want to try to do it on our own? We need all that help we can get. In Proverbs 2018, Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. We're not waiting around for God to hit us on the head with the divine hammer of direction. God's not just going to zonk us and let us know what we're supposed to do. He has given us so much in Scripture, and Scripture is sufficient, right? It's, it's sufficient.
And I think this passage in James really takes us in some good directions of thought, but it helps us remember that our existence here on earth is short. But we haven't solved the problem, have we? Just the knowledge of our human frailty is not enough. Um, what's, what's the solution? We're, we're puffs in the wind, but what happens after we're puffed? Do we just go away into nothingness? I th and I think Solomon had it right again. In chapter 12, Ecclesiastes, verse 7, And the dust returns to earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, I want to be careful here. Spirit returns to God, but God judges that spirit. He judges our souls. He judges us on what we've done in this life. In Ecclesiastes 12, 14, and we'll come back to this verse a little later. This is the second half of the last verse of Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And we should have a very real fear of that. God is a just and wrathful God against those who have rebelled against him. In Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And what are we being judged for? Is it because we didn't have God first in our planning? Or because we were boastful? Like it says, all uh, boasting is evil? I would say, and Scripture says, that it's a holy, perfect God that created the universe and placed man in it so that he might be glorified. And he gave that man one law to follow. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. This was not to be an instant death. It was a spiritual death and eventually mortal death after that. Man decided, in spite of what God had told him, that he wanted his own way rather than obedience to God. And in verse 4 of chapter 5, I believe it is, chapter 3, Then the servant said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So by this one act of rebellion, and oh, wait a minute, gentlemen, it was Adam's fault. It wasn't her fault. <clears throat> Man was separated by this one act of rebellion from God, and because of that, a great chasm exists between us and God because of our sin. And again, going back to Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's like Adam created this incurable terminal disease that we can't get inoculated against. And we all have it when we're born. And in spite of what Adam did, we are held individually responsible for our sins and for what we do. And in Genesis 6, 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of it, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that would certainly ring true today.
So what is sin? It's anything that's not perfect before a holy God. And that's a pretty broad spectrum of things. And I think a very effective ruler for sin is the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall honor the Sabbath day. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. Y'all know what's missing from up here? Abortion. They didn't put it on the chart. In the last 30 years worldwide, 1.2 billion babies have been murdered. That's murder. It's not abortion. It's murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not take the name of God in vain. And along with what Adam did, pain and suffering were introduced to this world. And our default destination is now eternal damnation in hell. That's where we're going unless something can save us. We can't even get along with our fellow man, much less our, our God, a blameless and perfect God. So we, we can't live perfect lives. What it, how do we get out of this? One sin is enough to send us to hell. So there's no way that we can save ourselves. But God had a plan. He raised up a new man, a divine savior, both fully God and fully man, that would create a way for us to be saved. And Jesus lived that perfect life for us, something that we could not do. And today we celebrate his miraculous resurrection from the dead after an excruciating death on the cross, sacrificing himself for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Call on his name today if you have not done that. Call on his name today. If you have done that, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. But if you haven't, you better think about your soul in the light of eternity. Our bodies will die, but our souls will live on. James 4.17 Therefore, for him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And then our passage in Romans 18 about how God has put the knowledge of the Creator in, all, in every one of us. And let's turn back to Ecclesiastes. Oh, this is my favorite verse. This is my favorite verse right here. Solomon gets right down to it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Lord, our, we're mortal. We're going to die. But Lord, our souls are eternal. Lord, we're sinners. And yet you have created, you loved us so much that you have created a way for us to spend eternity with you. It's hard to even understand that sometimes, but Lord, we're so grateful. Lord, we thank you on this resurrection day that you came back from the dead and that you live and that because of that, we live. Oh Lord, I pray for those who are listening today who do not know you. 
And I pray that you would soften their hearts, that they would turn to you. And Lord, we want to live our lives for your glory. We want to find our divine purpose. We want to live as your scripture has told us to. Lord, be with us. Allow us to praise and worship you today as we ought. Pray that we would have open hearts and open minds. Bless our fellowship. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.